0: Be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. We're actually going to jump around a little bit today in Luke and Matthew, um, looking at the birth narratives. And Christmas time is here. I heard Noah proclaim that. Jordan proclaim that. It's it's here. We Advent, the traditional Advent calendar actually started last week uh, because Christmas is on Sunday this year. But we are kicking off our Christmas series here. And you may be wondering, okay, so why do Christmas at the movies? We're going to talk over the next few weeks about Christmas movies and the theological underpinnings or assumptions that are made in the midst of it. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. Some of you may remember we did a series called At the Movies a couple of times in the summer a few years ago. And in the midst of that, we always kind of thought about this. I felt the Lord saying, at some point, this may be it. And There are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it's because Christmas and Christmas movies are on our minds. How many of you have already watched some kind of Christmas movie? All right, there we go. I mean, it is kind of the cool time of year when we sit down as a family. I don't know if you have this issue as families or as just people in general, but you know, we have more access to more things to watch than we have ever had in our lives. And less things to watch, it feels like. Especially if you want to watch something as a family. Sit down and with my family, we can get the six of us together. You know, Eli comes home from college. i got one in college, one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. And we think, okay, what do we want to watch? Well, that's too little for the big ones. That's too big for the little ones. That's too big for the parents. Whatever it may be, you're like, what do we want to watch? And you try to figure it out. One time of year that's a little easier is Christmas. Because we just sit down and, hey, what Christmas movie are we going to watch tonight? Either a new one or an old one. It's on our minds, it's out there. We're thinking about it, it's kind of become part of our culture. People talk about Christmas movies a lot. Apparently Christmas movies are a big business because what it used to be when I was growing up you'd have one special a year or one Christmas movie a year that might come out. Now every channel, every streaming service is doing multiple Christmas movies, most in the Hallmark vein. Let me just say that is the last time we will mention Hallmark Christmas movies in this series. Can I get an amen on the house of the Lord? All right. Not that I'm opposed to a good one every now and then, but... um, We We won't talk about about them, all right? right? And so, it's just part of that. Also, entertainment tells the story of our society. And one of the things that we do in examining the entertainment that is happening around us, the people around us, with a discerning and critical eye, it helps us to understand the stories that are being told. Well, here's the main reason that I wanted to do this, this this year and felt like the Lord was leading us to do this. It's because movies can be the parables of our society. So when Jesus would teach, he didn't give just straight theological facts all the time. In fact, his preaching style, if you look at the Gospels, would have been different than a lot of what um, seminary professors would tell people that are preachers today to preach. Jesus was often topical. The Sermon on the Mount, he jumps from topic to topic to topic and he pulls different places from the Old Testament to refer to. He doesn't take a text of the Old Testament and break it down. And then he would tell stories. That's his main teaching method. He would teach parables because he knew that he could help people understand deeper theological truths through storytelling. It is the old, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Right? Which is actually from a movie as well. And the idea behind it is he would give them these stories, and in the stories, in the parables, sometimes they were able to assess and see truth about themselves and the world that they might not have if He would have just said it straight to them because He came around. It's not the only instance in Scripture where that happens. I think, and we've referenced this a couple of times in the last few months, about Nathan confronting David about his adultery with Bathsheba. He tells this lengthy story, and then at the end, David goes, that guy's terrible, and he goes, it's you. And sometimes stories have this way of revealing things that we don't want to be revealed or that we can't see about ourselves. J.R. Tolkien says, the writer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and a guy that thought a lot about story and Christianity, he was a committed Christian, says that part of the reason that as Christians we need to understand good story is because Every great story has some foundation or basis in the story. That there's elements of all great stories out there that are found in our understanding of the story of God. And he created a word, because people like Tolkien can create words. Most of us can't and get away with it, but he can He created a word to describe this kind of underpinning of story that helps us understand the story. And he talked about moments of eucatastrophe. And what he did is he took two Greek words and he put them together. And they almost sound like an oxymoron to say them together. It doesn't sound like they should fit. But then he described it. And so he took two Greek words. I know you all love when we break Greek down, so we're going to do that. He took the word you, which means good. So for instance, if you go somewhere and someone gives a eulogy, the word logos means word, you means good. It's a good word about someone. Right? You talk about a euphemism, that's a good way to say something about someone. Well, this word you means good, and then catastrophe means not good, right? Destruction. It means bad stuff. Catastrophe meant then what catastrophe means now. And so if you put those two words together, he said that every great story has good destruction in it. And he said the ultimate example of that is a child-born son of God who is crucified and yet is resurrected. And every great story, he said, will have a turn, a moment when you are lifted in your spirit because it appears as if there is no hope. And then hope arrives often through surrender and sacrifice and always unexpectedly. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're not going to talk about you, catastrophe, again, and all God's people said. Amen, right? But we are going to talk about some movies. And we're going to start with this guy Kevin McAllister now here's what I want to also tell you I'm going to walk a line here over the next few weeks because we're going to talk about the theological truths I see in these movies and I think are there I will tell you two things I'm trying to avoid first of all I'm trying to avoid being the high school English teacher that sees symbolism in every single thing that happens we've all had one of those amen some of you may be one of those All right. The second thing I'm trying to avoid is saying that they intended to put these things in there. I don't think the filmmakers knew what they were doing sometimes. They were just telling good stories. So Kevin McAllister, he's in a movie. What's the movie he's in? What's it called? Home Alone, Alone, right? Now, it's interesting. You see up there at the top, it's from John Hughes. John Hughes is not known for wacky kid family-friendly comedies. John Hughes is known as the 80s high school Comedy writer, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But he was writing a Christmas movie, he had a dispute about how to get it out, he finally got it made, and in 1990 he released Home Alone, and it went on to be number one for 12 consecutive weeks. Stayed in the top ten. It was released in November. Stayed in the top ten through April of, of the next year, the end of April of the next year. And it is a movie that resonates with families. It's obviously about Kevin McAllister. He gets caught home alone through circumstances that his parents are terrible parents. Robbers are coming after their house. We'll talk in a minute while that's all there. But when you watch the movie, this story of a young boy who is left at home while his parents go on a European vacation at Christmas time, who is fending off robbers that are trying to infiltrate his house and he uses booby traps and lots of various things to inflict amazingly, amazing amounts of pain upon the robbers and drive them away. You think, okay, so what are the theological themes found in that? I asked my daughters that both individually, separately earlier this week, right out here in the hallway. I said, Ava, what do you think the the big themes are behind Home Alone? The theological important things, and she said, "Don't leave your kids at home for Christmas." That's pretty good, pretty good. So driving to school the next day, I had Maddie. Maddie not been a part of that conversation, and we were having a little conversation. And I said, Maddie, I'm just trying to think through this. What do you think are the big themes in Home Alone? And she said. Don't leave your kids at home for Christmas, right? It seems kind of like that's just like a sure moment, right? John Hughes actually wrote this movie because he was packing for a trip one time and he made a list. And you hear, how many of you are list makers when it comes to trip packing, all right? How many of you are like, just throw whatever in there, I'll get there, right? So he was making a list about what he was going to take on his trip and it had, he had a cannot forget list. And I don't know what's on your cannot forget list. I'm insulin dependent diabetic. So insulin and supplies is high up on the cannot forget list. If I get to Brazil or I get to Chicago, I've never been there, but if I get to Los Angeles or wherever and I don't have my insulin, that's a pretty big problem. So he had a cannot forget list. And he said he literally thought for a moment and wrote on their kids. And then he started to think, what if I left my second grader at home? And that started to run this particular thing. So what themes are here? Well, there are actually a lot of biblical themes found throughout Home Alone. We're not going to focus on... All of them, we're going to focus on one in particular, but you could go into a discussion of the importance of family and their place in our development and understanding of who we are. You could talk about the importance of forgiveness and how forgiveness opens the door to relationships being restored. You could talk about the importance of gratitude and how we don't always know what we have until it's gone and how we need to be grateful for what God has given us in that moment, even when it's a difficult situation. You could talk about the importance of not judging people because a couple, one character in particular, in this show is judged again and again by Kevin and the neighborhood kids. And we find out later that there is definitely more to that character than what we initially see. We could talk about the importance of confession and how there is this moment of understanding how we need to confess our role in the plight that we are currently in and lean on God in the midst of that. But that's not what we're going to talk about. Because there is a scene that some of that is in, that I think is the heart of the movie, and it's probably not a scene that you immediately think. I mean, I'd love to come in here and show you multiple scenes of paint cans hitting guys in the head, and stepping on broken ornaments, and the um, maybe you have a favorite one of those booby traps, like uh, the the, the iron, I heard the iron, the flamethrower to the head, like... Doesn't that sound just awesome when you say it out loud, like the flamethrower to the head? Like all those moments are great, but there's a, a, a central kind of moment right before the final confrontation with the robbers that I think is the heart of the movie. I want to show you a quick clip and then we're going to talk about what comes after that. Oh, all right there's a moment right there that happens, and this is why it's an important moment. Kevin is getting ready for the final confrontation. There are multiple times, by the way, in this movie when the church is at the center of a turn of events. Kevin's hiding from robbers. he hides himself in the nativity set. I don't know if you remember that. and in this moment, he's preparing himself and he walks into the church. now, When I first watched the movie and even a lot of times on replay, I think that he's walking into the church and he's walking in because he's trying to find some quick help for um, how he can take care of these robbers. He gets in there and it's almost in that moment that he's confronted with the fear he has of what's happening outside. The fear of the next door neighbor that has this, this older gentleman who throughout the movie has been displayed as possibly some kind of, I don't know, crazy man, right? But what's interesting is, in the conversation that follows, that I couldn't find a good copy of that we could legally show, in the conversation that follows, Old Man Marley, by the way, symbolic name based on Christmas Carol, and Kevin have a conversation about fear. In fact, the first thing that Mr. Marley, Old Man Marley, says after Merry Christmas is... You don't have to be afraid of me. I know they say a lot of things, but that's not it. And then they get into an in-depth discussion about Marley's fears and Kevin's fears. But Kevin's fears in this scene have nothing to do with the robbers coming to his house. You may not even remember this scene because it's not the fun scene or what the big thing is about to happen. But in the midst of that, he says, they have a conversation, and Marley says, Have you been good this year? And he says, Mostly. Right? And Oman Marley says, I kind of figured that. And then he says, Kevin says, he's concerned that his bad behavior had led to his parents abandoning him. And Marley gives him comfort in that moment and says... That it's good that you come into church because he came. I came to church hoping I could find something there. You're always welcome at church. It's good to do that. And he talks about this fear that's there. And then Marley, in the conversation, begins to talk about why he's there at this particular moment when it's the smallest attended Christmas Eve service I've ever seen, right? Like eight people there. Like 400 people in the choir, eight people in the... And you know, by the way, this is one of those things that's not true. If there are 400 kids in the choir, there are more than eight people in the pews, right? Old church thing, if you want to get parents here, you put their kids on stage. And so you do that, right? But they're there and he walks up and he says, do you remember why he's at that one? It's to see his granddaughter because he's afraid his son wouldn't welcome him if he was there. And Kevin tells him, you've got to just face your fears and don't worry about that. And it's this interesting moment. I mean, literally, when he finishes this conversation... Kevin stands up, starts to walk out of the church, and some of you may remember this. the The music quickly changes from "O Holy Night" to like the Trans Siberian Orchestra, like big orchestral thing that's about to happen. And in the midst of that, we get this sense that uh, this idea that he has been strengthened and encouraged and emboldened by this conversation about the need to not be afraid. Now, here's how that relates to. The Christmas story. If you want to talk about the themes of the early birth narratives, there are definitely themes there of God with us. The theme of a Savior has been born. But in three particular places where the announcement of Jesus coming or has come happens, all three places the words do not fear are there. Let's start in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, Wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now we're going to stop there for a moment before we go on. Because let's all agree that this would freak you out. Amen? If you are chilling at your house this afternoon, trying to figure out how Alabama's ranked ahead of Tennessee when Tennessee beat them, like when you're trying to figure that out, And you're just in your moment contemplating life, thinking about all that's going on about your week ahead. And suddenly an angel appears in your room and says to you, greetings, favored woman. Greetings, favored man. The Lord is with you. At that moment, you are going to be completely and utterly freaked out. It's the theological term for it, right? You're going to be messed up. What in the world is happening? What's going on here? And it says that Mary, being probably 14, 15, 16 years old, maybe as old as 17 or 18, but in her teens, almost assuredly, in that moment, she was wondering, deeply troubled, like, what is going on? And then the angel says to her, you know this, right? Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Do not be afraid. And in this instance, he gives the reason why she does not need to be afraid. And this is the reason. Do not fear. Instead, trust the Lord's plan. Trust God's plan. She says, listen, here's what's happening. Or the angel says to her, here's what's happening. God's going to send a child. It's going to be your child. And he is going to be the king of the world. He is going to be the king that reigns forever. It is the promised Messiah, the one that we have been looking for. He is the one that is worthy of all that is there. Do not worry. Do not fear because God's in control. Now, here's what I find interesting about the Home Alone movie is that the deepest fears of both Old Man Marley and of Kevin McAllister have nothing to do with the physical issues that are surrounding them at the moment. Their deepest fears have to do with emotional and relational items. And basically both of them convince each other, talk to each other about living out their life without fear because of knowing what is going to happen or not happen. They say to face forward and move with boldness and security. And what happens in this story with Mary and the angel is the angel says, I know you're freaked out. I know you're scared. I can see it on your face. Don't be afraid. What's about to happen is the most amazing thing in the history of the world, because God's plan set in motion from Genesis when he said to the enemy that you would strike the heel, but he would crush your head when that moment and the proto evangelion, the first gospel was pronounced by God to the serpent saying that one would come. And throughout the history of the Old Testament, when the tabernacle and the temple were built and they were to be reminders of God's presence and their from Him. He continually reminded them that one is coming, one is coming, one is coming, one is coming. coming. And here we have the promises of God. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And the plan of God coming to fruition. And He says, do not be afraid because this is God's plan. He will make it happen. And because of that, you can trust in Him. And in the midst of our lives, it is easy to get caught up in the craziness that is around us in just normal kind of daily activities or in difficulties and say, what are we going to do in the midst of all of this? How are we going to make it through? How is God going to work all this out? What is going to happen in the midst of this? I was on YouTube the other day. and YouTube, you know, gives you suggestions based on your prior watching. And I have no idea why this was on my suggested thing, but it was about the Solar storms that could be coming by 2025 and would wipe out all of our communication stuff. And for some reason I pushed play. I was unwise. Right? I was like, oh, what are we, we going to do? How are we going to survive? We thought the pandemic was bad. Solar storms. It seems like every day there's something like that, right? And it's so easy to get caught up in How are we going to take care of that? How are we going to do this? How are we going to live that? How are we going to fix that? Instead of trusting, not that we aren't actively engaged in what God is calling us to do, but trusting the Lord is going to take care of it. Trusting God's plan. Second time in the birth narratives we see, do not be afraid, comes in Matthew chapter 1. So Angel appears to Mary. Mary's gonna have a child. Mary is now pregnant. She is engaged to Joseph. That causes an issue. It tells us in Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, but not believing a word of what she said. That's the Larson edition. Right? They decided to divorce her secretly. Wait a minute, divorce, they're just engaged. In their society, engagement was more serious than marriage in a lot of ways. It was more committal in that moment. And he's saying, listen, I'm just going to step away. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that conversation between Mary and Joseph? I've got the most amazing news. What? And in the midst of that, it says that an angel comes to Joseph. After he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife because what she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. I think it's interesting the you there is directed at Joseph because he will save his people from their sins. Now look at what happens after that. All of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. Joseph, freaking out, scared to death, because an angel shows up in his house in the midst of the most difficult situation he has ever found himself in in life. He says, don't be scared. And he tells them to trust the Lord in the midst of it. And he says, not only can you trust God's plan, but you can trust God's promises. He says all of this is happening to fulfill what God has promised in the past. God told us through Isaiah that God was going to send a child and would be born of a virgin. And that virgin birth would give birth to a son whose name would be Emmanuel, which is God is with us. And we're going to talk about that, that understanding in a moment. And he says that you don't have to be afraid because you have the promises of God. Now, there is no way in the time that we have today that I can read you all the promises of God's Word to us as believers. But let me just remind you of a few of them. The Lord is good. He has compassion on all He has made. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. We're reminded that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Isaiah tells us that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. John 3.16. We've already heard once today. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And will forgive us sins and purify us from all righteousness. Second Chronicles. 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. John 8.36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Romans ten nine through 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We don't have to be afraid no matter what is before us, no matter what difficulty we're facing, no matter what uncertainty is in our life because God has promised to be with us. God has promised us a life that is lived in Him and He makes His promises come true. And then here's the last moment. Back in Luke chapter 2. One of the most famous parts of this, and we will revisit this particular passage again over the next few weeks. But it says in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. It's interesting to me reading this passage this week when we just got through with six and a half, seven weeks on the Lord's is my shepherd. And the same reason shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at, their n- at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were freaked out, terrified, scared to death. And the angel says to him, what? Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Here's the ultimate reason that we don't have to fear in life as we move forward. And the thing that we celebrate again and again and again, every Christmas we rehearse it again and again. And it is that we can live without fear because we can trust God's presence. The babe in the manger is not just another baby, he wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't just a significant figure in history. The babe in the manger is God Almighty, God with us. And no matter what you're facing today, no matter what may come your way this week, this month, this decade, we know without a doubt that God's presence is with us. Several of promises are that He would not leave nor forsake us, that He is with us, He is guiding us, He is alongside us, He is walking with us. And as a result, we can trust in Him and trust His presence as we live. So let me ask you this question. What are you afraid of? In that conversation between Marley and Kevin, there's an interesting little moment when Kevin says to him, aren't you a little too old to be afraid? And Marley says to him, there are some things in life you're too old for, but you're never too old to be afraid. Our fears may change. Our worries may shift. But let me ask you, what are you afraid of today? Are you afraid of rekindling a relationship with family members that needs to over this holiday season that you dread the holiday season because of seeing family members or not seeing them? Are you afraid of an unknown medical future? Are you unknown of an unknown future at all? Are you, unno- are you worried about financial situation in your life? Or is there a sin in your life that just can't get away and you're worried about how they can do that and you're scared to confront it or to confront what's happening in your life? The story of Scripture and the birth narratives is... That we can live without fear. There's one more little tidbit, and this is a minor thing, and this may be reading something in that's not intended there. But there's an interesting little progression that happens in that movie that most of you may not have noticed. And it reminds us that living without fear and facing our fears can lead to healing and make it possible. So I mentioned Marley a few times now. He's the older man. And you know, we see him scooping in the driveway. But if you remember the first time we get a really good look at him is in a store when Kevin is getting ready to buy something and he slams his hand down on the counter. And if you remember that scene, if not, you can go back and watch it. He has his hand that is heavily damaged. It has wrappings around it that is filled with blood. On both sides of it, actually. You see it from under the counter and it's on both ones. There are two other times in the, in the movie when they make a point to show you that hand. One is when he is sitting in the church with Kevin and that conversation, and at the end, right before Kevin gets up and walks out, trans Siberian Orchestra starts playing, and we go and we hit all the guys with all the worst stuff. They reach over and shake hands, and when they shake hand, his hand is no longer heavily bandaged. It now has a slight Band-Aid on it. And at the end, if you remember the last scene that we have Marley in, he's in the driveway holding his granddaughter and his son is there. And he lifts his hand up to wave and it is completely healed. Now, I I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think he has any kind of Christian understanding of what's going on there. It's just a progression. But I do think it's symbolic for us that Scripture teaches us when we face our fears, when we confront things in our lives, and when it comes to our salvation in Christ, when we are willing to do what God calls us to do, healing occurs. And there are some of you this Christmas that need to begin the process of either healing internally or healing a relationship of allowing sin in your life that has infested you by progressing and living without the fear that it is instilled in your life to see healing in your own life. There's a need for us to live without fear to see God bring healing and restoration to us. So, my question today is what are you scared of? And how are you going to face it in God's timing? with God's provision, understanding God's plan, promises, and presence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for truth communicated in strange ways, but most of all, Lord, we're thankful for Your Word that gives us an understanding of what it means to live without fear and to see even in these birth narratives that not being afraid is a central aspect of what is going on in the original birth of Jesus. Lord, I pray that in these moments that we would face whatever insecurities and difficulties and fears we have and that we would trust you completely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.